Hello, listeners, and welcome back. <laughs> it is I, Lisa, also known as the Alkali Yogi. This is her healing hour, so you are in the right space. But guess what? It's not Monday. It's Thursday, the 15th of April, 2021. It is the day after my Earth Day. And as an offering, I wanted to give you listeners an additional podcast to listen to this week. Now, this podcast is a little bit different. But I think that it's just as important to our overall well-being as any of the other topics that I've addressed thus far. I think one thing that we can all agree on is that there is duality and polarity in this planet, on this earth. That is an agreement that we entered into when we came here. And so there is no up without down. There is no left without right. Everything offers a perspective, a point of reference, if you will. You cannot have black without white. You cannot have light without dark. And so oftentimes, as is the case, in the media, we are often presented with just one side, one version of the events as they may or may not be unraveling or playing out, we'll say. But there has to be a different side right we've just we've just all agreed on the fact that there's always duality and polarity masculine and feminine yang and yin it's just the way of the earth it's just a universal law and so why is the other side not being heard as much i'm not saying that the other side is more potent or truthful or honest or without flaw i'm saying there is another side and because you need two sides to make a whole I'm fearful that we're not seeing the truth. I'm fearful, I'm fearful that we're not seeing the entire picture. Neither side is perfect, neither side is without flaws, but you need both sides to complete the story, to see the entire picture. And so in this particular episode, I would like to read to you a fascinating article that I, I came across. And immediately upon coming across this article, I decided that I wanted to read it for you. This way, you don't have to sit in front of your computer screen or device. Instead, you could be out in nature, hopefully grounding and connecting with Mother Earth. Whilst I play or read this article to you, just to offer a different perspective. And that is, for me, a gift. It is how I choose to celebrate my my Earth Day with all of you listeners. And don't you worry, at the end, (laughs) or rather in the show notes, I will include the article. So if you wish to, you can go ahead and read it for yourself. There is some video included. I won't be covering the video portion of it, just the text. And if you enjoyed it, perhaps you can share it or not. (laughs) There is no right or wrong. It's either agreeable for you or it's not. So having said that, let's get on with this article. So German attorney and co-founder of the German Corona Extra Parliamentary Inquiry Committee, Dr. Rainer Fulmich, and forgive me for native German speakers if I've mispronounced or chewed up Dr. Fulmich's name, (laughs) interviews a Holocaust survivor, Vera Sharav, Vera Sharab, a human rights advocate and founder of the Alliance for Human Research Protection, also known as AHRP, 
In the light of the rise of medical fascism, guised as pandemic response, Sharaf's warning to the world is extremely pertinent. She draws direct parallels between the global response to COVID-19 and the tactics employed in Nazi Germany to segregate Jews and other undesirables with the intent to commit mass genocide. Indeed, when you look at history, pandemic exercises through the years and planning reports by the globalist non-governmental organizations, you get the distinct impression that the pandemic measures rolled out for COVID-19 are the culmination of decades of careful planning to radically and permanently alter the governance and social structures of the world. Disturbingly, significant reductions in populations through various means feature heavily in such plans. What's more, it's clear that the medical system has been used in the past to drive forward this new world order, a great reset agenda, and is now being used to implement the final stages of this plan. As noted by energytherapy.biz, which provides a transcript of the first seven minutes of Sharaf's interview, whether people see the genocidal plans or not is largely down to their level of awareness and whether they buy into mainstream propaganda. Sharaf goes on to say, as a child survivor of the Nazi reign of terror, I learned indelible lessons about the nature of evil. I know the consequences of being stigmatized and demonized as being a spreader of disease. My perspective is informed by my experience, by the, by the historical record and by the empirical evidence. As a Jew, Sharav was required to wear the yellow star of David on her clothing at all times so that she could be identified, segregated and discriminated against. By law, Jews were not allowed to engage in society like other Germans. They were barred from ordinary activities, including educational, religious and cultural gatherings. Their private property was impounded and they were forbidden to travel. These painful memories from my childhood sensitized me to the threat posed by current restrictive government dictates, she says. In 1776, Benjamin Rush, a doctor and a singer, a signer, sorry, <laughs> not a singer, a doctor and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, foresaw the danger of medicine organizing as what he called an undercover dictatorship. Under the Nazi regime, moral norms were systematically obliterated. The medical profession and institutions were radically transformed. Academic science, the military industry, and clinical medicine were tightly interwoven as they are now. The Nazi system destroyed a social conscience in the name of public health. Violations against individuals and classes of human beings were institutionalized. Eugenics-driven public health policies replaced the, phys the physician's focus on the good of the individual. The German medical profession and institutions were perverted. Coerced public health policies violated individual and human rights. Criminal methods were used to enforce this policy. Nazi propaganda used fear of infectious pandemics rather epidemics, to demonize Jews as spreaders of disease, as a menace to public health. 
This is a hallmark of anti-Semitism to blame the Jewish people for existential threats. Fear and propaganda were the psychological weapons the Nazis used to impose a genocidal regime. And today, some are beginning to understand why the German people didn't rise up. Fear kept them from doing the right thing. Medical mandates today are a major step backwards towards a fascist dictatorship and genocide. Government dictates medical intervention. These undermine our dignity as well as our freedom. First, it was, vac it was vaccination mandates for children. Now it's for adults. The stark lesson of the Holocaust is that whenever doctors join forces with the government and deviate from their personal, professional, clinical commitment to do no harm to the individual, medicine can then be perverted from healing. Humanitarian profession to a murderous apparatus. What sets the Holocaust apart from all other mass genocides is the pivotal role played by the entire medical establishment. Every step of the murderous process was endorsed by the academic professional medical establishment. Medical doctors and prestigious medical societies and institutions lent the veneer of legitimacy to infanticide and mass murder of civilians. T4 was the first industrialized medical murder project in history. The first victims were disabled German infants and children under three. They were identified by midwives who reported their existence to the state. The next victims were the mentally ill, followed by elderly in nursing homes. The murderous operations were methodical and followed protocol very, very carefully. Disturbingly, and as mentioned earlier, the medical profession is again being enlisted to carry out dubious directives that will benefit the global elite while harming the people. The only difference really is that today the agenda is being implemented worldwide. Sharav warns, the COVID-19 the COVID pandemic has exposed eugenics-driven public health policies in Western Europe and the United States. This is a chilling replay of T4. Government directives to hospitalize the sick in nursing homes essentially condemned the elderly to death. In Europe and the US, hospitals were ordered not to treat, not to provide medical treatment, including oxygen to elderly people in nursing homes. Before he issued the executive order that sent more than 15,000 human beings to death, Governor Cuomo of New York State predicted that the virus would be like fire through dry grass in nursing homes. Hitler's T4 program. T4 refers to Hitler's Action T4 involuntary euthanasia campaign, where the incurably sick, physically and mentally handicapped, psychologically ill and elderly, also called worthless eaters, were murdered by the medical establishment. It is estimated 300,000 disabled people alone were killed under the T4 program, which was initiated in 1939. 
The organization in charge of the euthanasia program was the Reich Work Group of Sanatoriums and Nursing Homes, and the code name T4 stands for Tiergarten 4, the street in Berlin where the headquarters of this organization was housed. To prisoners in Nazi work camps, the program was colloquially known as Operation Invalid. Its official designation on paperwork was Operation 14F13 or Special Treatment 14F13. During the Holocaust, prisoners selected for the special treatment were simply told that they were being sent to a rest home. Some actually volunteered for the treatment until rumors of what was really happening started to leak out. After the T4 program was officially ended in 1941, German doctors continued to be encouraged and sometimes directed by the Nazi regime to act on their own when it came to making life and death determinations. This became known as wild euthanasia. And it continued, it continued until 1945. The psychiatrist offered the following testimony after the war. In conversation with other participants in the program, I learned that there would be no fuss if some physician or other in an institution stood ready to kill a patient by injection or overdose if he was convinced that the patient's extinction was desirable. As explained by Sharav, T4 ended up being a testing ground for lethal injections and pharmaceuticals. Not surprising, the corporate elite, including Standard Oil, IBM, Kodak, Ford, Coca-Cola, Nestle, IG Farben, and Bayer were the primary financial beneficiaries of the Nazi terror regime, which they all supported. In IBM colluded with Hitler, now makes vaccine passports, I review the crucial central role IBM specifically played. Without IBM's technology, the Nazis would have been unable to efficiently identify, track, and imprison, and exterminate Jews. Today, the technology to identify and track down anyone or any group of individuals, individuals has exponentially improved. The avian flu pandemic. In 2006, there was another dress rehearsal for the COVID-19 pandemic. At that time, the avian flu emerged as a global pandemic and public health officials advised the Bush administration to implement quarantines, closures and measured lockdowns. Dr. Donald Henderson was the primary author of a report that in no uncertain term dismissed the justifications for these, what he called unscientific measures. He warned that using these kinds of measures could turn a manageable epidemic into a catastrophe. At the time, these warnings did not fall on deaf ears and quarantines, business closures and lockdowns were not implemented. During the 2019 pandemic, however, doctors and, and scientists who spoke out against COVID-19 measures and governments were, government dictates were simply censored, vilified, and threatened with loss of livelihood. They've been roundly ignored by government leaders and the virus has been continuously exploited to, main to maintain a state of fear, Sharav says. We can now see that lockdowns are very effective means for social control and the transfer of wealth, she adds. Indeed, the corporate elite have profited immensely from the shutdown, 
from the shutting down of small private businesses, so it would be naive to ignore the financial incentives behind this tactic. In the case of big tech, the companies profiting from these draconian measures were also the ones censoring objection, objections. Lockdowns have done nothing, however, to alter the course of the pandemic, just as Henderson warned. Instead, people are being conditioned to submit passively to government dictates, Sharav says, and children robbed of an education are being conditioned to distrust people. This, I believe, has been the true intention all along. Mandatory masks are an insidious psychological weapon. They demean our dignity as free human beings. They do not work in this or any other epidemic. And they are the symbolic equivalent of the yellow star. The sparse pandemic of 2025. In November 2020, in a November 2020 article posted on The Last American Vagabond, Derek Braz reviews a 2017 coronavirus pandemic simulation known as the sparse pandemic scenario held by the John Hopkins Center of Health Security. There have been there have been many such exercises. Most recently, there was event 201 organized by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in collaboration with Johns Hopkins and the World Economic Forum. That exercise took place in October 2019, just a few months before the COVID-19 pandemic broke out. One of the many striking foreshadowings in that exercise was the radical crackdown on and censoring of misinformation, as reported by Bros. Event 201 stimulated how the world would respond to a fictional coronavirus pandemic known as CAPS, which swept around the planet. The simulation imagined 65 million people dying, mass lockdowns, quarantines, censorship of alternative viewpoints under the guise of fighting disinformation, and even floated the idea of arresting people who questioned the pandemic narrative. Just two months earlier, in October 2019, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the HHS, headed by Alex Azar, along with several national, state, and local organizations, held a pandemic exercise known as Crimson Contagion. It simulated an outbreak of a novel avian influenza virus originating in China. A simulation called CLAD-X was held in May 2018. Here, the virus in question was a biological weapon released by a terrorist group. Requirements should the president issue a federal um, quarantine order were discussed. The federal government also ended up nationalizing the healthcare system in this exercise. Of these, the sparse pandemic exercise held in 2017 is among the lesser known, but like event 201, it bears striking similarities to our current situation. Bros writes, in October 2017, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security released their report, Sparse Pandemic 225 to 228, a futuristic scenario for public health risk communicators. The report is written from the perspective of someone in 2030 who is looking back on a pandemic which swept around the world between 2025 and 2028. The document states that the creators identified major socioeconomic, demographic, technological, and environmental trends which they believe are likely to emerge during this period. The two trends they said most 
are, which they said are likely to influence public health emergencies are varying degrees of access to information technology and increased fragmentation amongst population along social, political, religious, ideological, and cultural lines. Interestingly, the report notes that early case fatalities est estimates were inflated with the CDC estimating sparse fa case fatalities at 4.7% and the WHO saying 14 to 15% and over 50% for the people over the age of 64. Later, studies would prove and provide a more accurate estimate of only 0.6%. This simulated scenario mimics what we've seen with the COVID-19. The CDC and WHO both initially claimed the fatality rate was much higher before later admitting that the rate was well below 1%. By the time Thanksgiving and Black Friday arrived, the transmission of SPARS accelerated due to asymptomatic individuals traveling. Much like in real life, the simulation states that the Department of Health and Human Services agreed to provide liability protection to the vaccine manufacturer. The simulation makes it clear that health officials have planned for potential vaccine injuries and the objection, objection to vaccine mandates. In one section, the report asks, how might federal authorities respond to critics who propose that liability protection for SPARS vaccine manufacturers jeopardize individual freedom? and well-being. It would seem government officials and health authorities are simply ignoring that question by censoring it and labeling anyone who raises questions about vaccine safety and the legality of vaccine passports as an enemy of the state. We're repeatedly told to simply trust the experts, but as noted by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in his foreword, The Truth About COVID-19, such advice is both anti-democratic and anti-science. Science is dynamic. Experts frequently differ on scientific questions and their opinions can vary in accordance with the demands of politics, power, and financial self-interest. Nearly every lawsuit I have ever brought up pitted highly creden cred credentialed experts from opposite sides Against each, other, against each other, with all of them swearing under oath to diametrically anti-ethical positions based on the same set of facts. Science is disagreement. The notion of science consensus, consensus is oxymoronic. How we bought the big lie. With hindsight being 2020, we can now see just how the narrative around COVID-2019 led us to where we are today, and it all began with a double dose of fear-mongering. As noted by Jordan Sachtel in a recent article in the Dossier, the worldwide pandemic was set up with a series of breathtaking, horrifying photos and videos coming out of Wuhan of what appeared to be an Ebola-like plague. He points to the video showing citizens and business attire out and about seemingly going about their day when suddenly they were captured on film dropping like flies. Not long after that, Chinese authorities announced widespread lockdowns to stop the virus. A few months later, Beijing announced that it had successfully stopped the virus dead in its tracks, but only through brutal suppression measures taken. 
the message from the Chinese Communist Party was crystal clear. Countries around the world must lock down immediately and indefinitely in an attempt to stop this supposedly deadly plague from infecting your nation's population. The scare tactic worked. In a state of total panic, the overwhelmingly majority of the world followed the CCP's advice on handling the virus. There's just one major problem. Nowhere, except for those conveniently anonymous viral videos from Wuhan, were people dropping dead in the street. The illness simply doesn't work like that. And looking back, none of the initial footage makes any sense whatsoever and couldn't possibly have had anything to do with COVID-19. There's only one reasonable explanation for this. We got hoaxed by the Chinese government and its disinformation operation continues to this day, Sakcho writes. COVID-19 should be understood as a classic Soviet-style disinformation operation. In employing previous disinformation campaigns, the Chinese Communist Party has long reflected the Soviet playbook to perform its own deceptive practices. This graphic from the New York Times accurately summarizes the key ingredients within the Soviet-style playbook that makes for a successful disinformation campaign. And those key ingredients are look for cracks in target societies, create a big lie, wrap the lie around a kernel of truth, conceal your hand, find yourself a useful idiot, deny everything and play the long game. In his article, Satchel goes through each of these seven tactics and how they've been implemented during this pandemic. If you're unfamiliar with the Great Reset, you're probably wondering why anyone would go through all the trouble of faking a global pandemic. It seems too horrifically inhumane to even consider. Disturbingly, that's where the evidence takes you. And when you start to become more familiar with the contents of global plans and agendas, Agreed to by most countries around the globe, you start to see how this pandemic is being used as a cover story to foist unpopular restrictions upon the global population. The end game, it would appear, is nothing short of a global takeover by technocratic globalists who seek to gain ownership of the world's assets, while stripping ownership rights and other basic freedoms from the rest of the people who are looked upon as excessive eaters to modify the term useless eaters used by the Nazis to describe undesirables that were killed to preserve resources for those actually worthy of life. COVID-19, cover for you and Agenda 2030. In February 2021 blog post, Henry Makov distills the message gleaned from a 2016 article by Alex Newman titled UN Agenda 2030 a recipe for global socialism. In that article, Newman pointed out that in 2015, virtually every national government dictatorship on the planet met at the 70th Annual General Assembly at UN headquarters in New York to, to adopt a draconian 15-year master plan for the planet. The summit unanimously approved the plan, officially dubbed Agenda 2030, referring to it as a great leap forward which just so happens to be an old campaign slogan of the Chinese Communist Party. 
The plan is composed of 17 sustainable developmental goals with 169 specific targets to be imposed across the globe. While sustainable development sounds like a perfectly reasonable goal, this noble-sounding verbiage hides a hideous truth. These plans are not what they claim to be. As noted by Patrick Wood in The Pressing Dangers of Technocracy, sustainable development is a part and parcel of a technocratic plan for a great reset of the economic system. Their vision for the future of society is this sustainable future where they will control all the resources and all the consumption. In other words, they will tell businesses what they're allowed to build and they will tell consumers what they're allowed to consume. Period, end of subject. You don't need to be involved in this. They figure this all out for you in advance. This is the science of social engineering. They have the science. You just have to follow and do what they tell you. It's very insidious. Of course, they have nice platitudes, like we're going to eliminate poverty, we're going to have education for all, we're going to have jobs with dignity. That's all wonderful stuff, but when you get down to the bottom of their so-called sustainable development and Green Deal goals, you see that all you have to do to get those things is to let us have control over the resources and the management of those resources on a global basis. Newman, in looking through the goals of Agenda 2030, had the same warning back in 2016. He wrote, Perhaps the most striking feature of Agenda 2030 is the, practic is the practically undisguised roadmap to global socialism and corporatism fascism. To begin with, consider the Agenda's Goal 10, which calls on the UN, national governments, and every person on Earth to reduce inequality within and among countries. To do that, the agreement continues, will only be possible if wealth is shared and income inequality is addressed. Governments must also seize control of the means of production, either directly or through fascist-style means, mandates. In plain English, the Agenda 2030 document is claiming that today's consumption and product production patterns are unsustainable, and so we'll need to get by with less. The middle class are now the excessive eaters. <laughs> it's important to realize that the unsustainable consumption they're talking about is not the lavish over-the-top consumption by the rich, but rather the everyday consumption of the middle class. This includes high intake of meat, frozen food, and convenient foods. It also includes ownership of motor vehicles, ownership of electric appliances, home and workplace air conditioning, suburban housing, in short, Agenda 2030 is aimed at reducing the middle class's consumption of basic goods and energy, which includes limiting, with an eye toward eliminating, property rights and private ownership for future generations. If you were to draw yet another parallel to Hitler's T4 crime, you would T4 program, you could say that the middle class of today has become excessive eaters, slated for mass reduction, as alluded to earlier. Agenda 2030 also details how the younger generation is to be indoctrinated into promoting the fulfillment of these goals. According to the agreement, children and young women and men are critical agents of change and will find in the new goals a platform to channel their infinite capacities for activism into the creation of a better world. 
By 2030, ensure that all learners acquire the knowledge and skills needed to promote sustainable development, including, among others, through education for sustainable development and sustainable lifestyles, human rights, gender equality, promotion of culture of peace and nonviolence, global citizenship, and an appreciation of cultural diversity and a culture's contribution to sustainable development. As noted by Newman, considering what the UN means by sustainable development, population control, central planning, central planning, global governance, and more, the agenda for your children takes on an even more sinister tone. Throughout the agreement, the UN openly advocates the use of schools to indoctrinate all of, all of humanity into a new set of values, attitudes, and beliefs in the preparation for the new green and sustainable world order. Can you see the plan yet? Like mask wearing, lockdowns, and the yellow star before that, vaccine passports are the next step into the plan to identify undesirables so that they can be easily segregated and discriminated against. Ultimately, if the plan is allowed to unfurl in its own totality, we may well live to see a time in where there will be a call for the incarceration and elimination of the unvaccinated altogether. This is the global genocide Sharab warns us about. We're on that path. The justification will be that the unvaccinated individuals are too unclean, too unsafe to freely participate in public society and must there be identified and shut out. It's really about identifying the non-compliant. The vaccine passport will readily, will readily identify those who are willing to go along with the technocratic takeover and who aren't. Those unwilling to enter the new world of technocratic rule without a fuss are the ones that will need to be eliminated and willingness to be a test, to be a test subject for an unproven experimental treatment appears to be the litmus test. There will be other tests, however, of this you can be sure. The requirement is to obey or else. We'll only expand and get more restrictive Absolute slavery is our future, if we allow it. So here's just a different perspective. Obviously, there is no white or black here. There is some gray matter in both sides. But I think that on part of, in part of our desire to be more healthy, more whole individuals, it's important that we consider both sides so that we can make the best and an most informed decision for ourselves. And that is why I chose to relieve you <laughs> of your need to read this article. I've chosen to read it for you in hopes that you'll just open your ears, open your mind, allow for this other side to enter into your consciousness, into your awareness, so that ultimately you can decide what will be best for you and your loved ones. Well, signing off again. <laughs> Until next time, thank you so much again for tuning in. Thank you all for your support. Thank you for all of your B-Day wishes as well. I received those too. From my heart to yours, please be well and stay well. Love always, the Alkali Yogi.